0: Welcome to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners. This is the podcast that brings you inspiring people and their inspiring stories. How did they find their way to the top, and how can their path help you do the same? Here's your host, network broadcaster, executive, and entrepreneur, Craig Can.
1: Right now on Tracks to Success... You'll meet one of television's biggest stars. The host of a show that gives you one big star sifting through a houseful of chosen stars. On the way to a finale we think we might have figured out, but most often don't. You know the show. But what about him? Did you know he hosted a game show before the show that's become a franchise of a network and created a nation of followers? He was born in Dallas went to college on a soccer scholarship, and found his way into television. Local sportscaster in Oklahoma first, some horse racing, some home improvements, and then into the homes of millions on a series that took off in 2002 and seems to be anything but slowing down. You may think it's easy traveling the world with bachelors and bachelorettes, seeking long-lasting love, You may think it's easy being in a remote place, taping a series or placing roses on a table or finding a comfortable place across from two people no longer comfortable sitting next to each other at all. We'll find out and we'll go all the way back to see how he ultimately found his place among the most recognizable faces in all of Hollywood. His name is Chris Harrison his inspiring story this edition of tracks to success starts now well i'm just going to say it this is one i've been looking forward to i'm really excited about it chris thank you so much for taking the time to spend time with me on tracks to success now i'm going to admit i'm going to admit it i'm a big fan of the series i'm a big fan of you and as a guy who's done a little bit of tv in my in my lifetime I can probably understand more than most there's just a few challenges that go with your job am i fair
2: uh yeah it's one of those jobs that always looks more glamorous and easier than it is um <laughs> but first and foremost i'm glad you're a part of bachelor nation <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm okay with it i mean you know i don't have to defend myself do i <laughs> no not anymore i think early on honestly people did uh and they were you know first of all it was reality tv is a little taboo back in the day and then you know, it's a girl's, you know, the women love the show and, Mm -hmm. but then more people like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and Howard Stern. And some of these people started getting behind the show. And I think it made it safe for guys to kind of get behind it as well and say, yeah, I like it.
1: Yeah. Well, the season that, that, is now there right that you taped before i know it came with some challenges in fact i've heard all this stuff and let's be real i'm guessing you might have needed a few of your own little seagram's rose drinks to try to calm yourself down for what you went through is that is that a fair assessment
2: it was uh it was a beating on every level and, and actually <laughs> i'm back in another bubble i'm talking to you from another bubble right now uh from an undisclosed location where we're shooting the bachelor uh because the bachelorette worked so well this summer um, and it, it honestly, Craig, took a Herculean effort just to, to get to the point where we were shooting that first night when the limos were pulling up. We all looked around and we just saying, man, thank God we're here. I can't mm-hmm. believe we're all working again. Um, what it took to get to that moment and the hurdles and the obstacles and the unions and the, the people that were fighting, the, you know, the politicians that were trying to not let us work. It was, a, it was a really tough battle. So just getting to that season of The Bachelorette was a miracle. And then what happened on that season <laughs> was unlike anything we'd ever dealt with. So it was absolutely a crazy summer. You know what, though?
0: You
1: say it all the time, man. You're like, uh, it's unlike anything we've ever <laughs> seen on the series. I mean, it's one of your key lines. Everybody knows that's coming. Folks, stay tuned. You've never seen anything like this before.
2: The most dramatic ever. There um, you know, go. This, this season wasn't really about the hyperbole. It was more about a grind and an absolute beating and an emotional cause you know, we were all just going through such an emotional time anyway in 2020 and during the pandemic and yeah. what are we doing with our kids and our lives. And by the way, we need you to leave those lives for seven to 10 weeks mm-hmm. to come shoot this show and your family can't come with you. You can't see your family. You can't do anything other than stay in the confines of this particular resort Oh, by the way, it's in Palm Springs in the summer. It's 125 degrees. Good luck. <laughs> I've played golf there in August. It is 120 degrees. So I, yeah, know I stuck you- out and played golf. So we were on a golf course. And so I could play in, in the quote unquote bubble and they would leave me a golf cart. I would have to get out at 545 in the morning. So I went out 15 minutes before, before the first tee time. So I would be sure not to see or be around anybody. I would play golf. And then I would get, you know, be back at 8, 8.30 in the morning because it was so damn hot. You had to get out of there. Yeah, that's cool.
1: Uh, we're going to get to golf in a little bit. Uh, by the way, let, let's get back to the brand question. I want to ask you real quick because this is a perfect time. About, you've got a drink like a Seagram's. I actually wore this shirt, truth be told, just to give you a little rosé color into this whole thing and, and, and make you proud of the thing you got out there. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of really cool things I'm, I'm a part of. And Seagram's Tropical Rosé is one of them. Uh, the folks at Seagram's did an amazing collaboration with this woman, Cynthia Bailey. She's one of the housewives Mm -hmm. um, of Atlanta and an an awesome woman. And it went so well, this collaboration, they thought, let's try this again with somebody else. And we happened to have a a mutual friend. And this friend was in the meeting where Seagram's was talking about doing a collaboration. They mentioned the bachelor and my friend said, Oh, I, I know, Chris, how about we call him? And they're like, you can do that. And they called and I said, man, what a natural collaboration. What an easy fit that is. Everybody loves doing, you know, on Monday night, Tuesday night, whenever we're on, sitting back, having a glass of wine, a pint of Chunky Monkey, and you judge. You watch the show together. And uh, so it just seemed like such a great easy fit for the audience and and giving them what they already desire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's... um
1: be upfront on something so many people have actually said to me hey I got a question for you, you gotta ask this you gotta ask that um so I'm gonna give you one of them right now a lot of my friends want to know when are you gonna have the
2: show for the over 40s or over 50s because I-, I guarantee the ratings would be through the roof well funny you say that we were supposed to have already done it it was I don't know if you heard but it was in the it was in the loop it was in our production schedule. Last spring, we were supposed to shoot uh, this thing called Summer Games. We did the Winter Games during the Winter Olympics. It's counter-programming to the Olympics. The Olympics were supposed to happen this summer. And so we were going to do a thing called the Summer Games and put it on against the Olympics for the two weeks that the Olympics are on NBC. We have this on ABC. And then we do Bachelor in Paradise. And then later in the summer, we were going to do a senior version of The Bachelor. It was actually going to be older than 40s. It was going to be, I think, 55 or 60 and above. And obviously, with COVID and the pandemic, we definitely had to shelve that. Um, as everybody is in that you know, danger zone of of age. And so it was actually on the docket. We were producing it. We were putting it together when everything got shut down. Okay. Hopefully we're going to get back to it probably the next calendar year is my hope.
1: There we go. We've broken some official news. I, I can't exactly. wait to see that. I think it'll be terrific. All right. Uh, I want to dive into your career story. That's what this is all about and your track to this. But I do need to ask you, this when you sit around chris and you have some time to yourself nobody's there you can be in a bubble or not in a bubble how often do you kind of just look around in a quiet moment and say you got to be kidding me i i am a part of this this is me i'm the face of a series do you pinch
2: yourself there's not a time i don't and i don't know look i'm i'm almost a 50 year old man i've been doing this since I was, what, 22, 23 years old? Not the bachelor, but just in television um, and pretty much started in college. And so I've been doing this for quite some time, almost 30 years. And there's never a moment where I don't think, what the hell? You know, <laughs> when, when is someone going to tap me on the shoulder and say, sir, we figured out who you are. We realize you don't belong here. Get your stuff and go. And by, by the way, I will collect my stuff and I will laugh my way out of the room and say, I got away with it because it, it does. I, I never don't feel so blessed, so grateful that I've had this career. It's to be able to do what I love. I mean, unless I could have been a professional golfer, a professional soccer player, which is probably what I wanted to do as a kid. But to truly do what I love when I found this in college and to have it turn out like this, to be in the top 1% of what you do in the world, yeah, you know, it's, you, you, it is humbling. It is humbling. If you are really truly doing this and you're not a wannabe and you're not chasing somebody, you truly realize how humbling it is. Yeah, it's got to be. Let's go back, okay? Let's
1: let's chart the journey in your career. We see you on TV now, and we know you're in a bubble and, and doing interviews like this. But what about as a kid? Uh, you were born and raised in Dallas, right? Yeah. Um Were you the outgoing kid? Were you the
2: quiet kid? What was Chris Harrison like? Um. <laughs> kind of a, you know, rough and tumble, t- t- typical Texas kid, hunting and fishing. I had an older brother and, you know, my, my parents, just kind of a typical middle of North Dallas, um, played a lot of sports. And that was my love. I loved sports. You name it, we were playing it. Whatever season it was, that's what we were doing. Football, basketball, soccer. But soccer was my love. I quickly realized at a very early age. And I think it's when you're good at something Mm -hmm. and you see success, all of a sudden that becomes your passion. Um, and and I saw early success in soccer and that truly became the love of my life. And by the time I got to high school, that's all I wanted to do. I wasn't a great student. Um, sadly, um, my brother was, I was not. And so really soccer was, was what I wanted to do. It's what I wanted to get to college and do. And that was my goal in life was to get to college and play college ball. And luckily was able to do that. But that's, you know, pretty typical uh, upbringing, no show business. Nobody I know was ever in the business of my family um, whatsoever. There was no inkling. I mean I had a television, but I never thought about being in a television ever, uh, which is interesting. but yeah, I was I will say I was a fairly charismatic outgoing guy that loved to be on stage.
1: Would you tell little kids now or kids that were your age back then, uh, chase your dream, don't worry about the books? I'm not, I'm not saying to ditch academics, but you said you weren't great at it. But look, it's you, and, and that's so many people. What would you tell kids?
2: Well, what I do, well, I have two kids. Um, yep. I have a son who's a freshman at TCU, and I have a, a junior. My daughter's a junior in high school. And um, they are great students. They are so much smarter and better human beings than I am. <laughs> um, but I actually do tell my daughter who gets straight A's, and this is probably terrible parenting. I, I say, look, I am so proud of you for the effort that you're putting in to get these grades. But I am so much more concerned and proud of the woman that you are, the person that you are. And I will always be grateful for that more than getting straight A's. That is that all. That is great. And what grades do is it opens doors and creates opportunities. And that's what I tell my kids. And I would tell any kid, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of opportunities. I went to Oklahoma City University, which is a great school, wonderful institution of higher learning. And it served me well, but I didn't have a lot of choices because of my grades. I had this, my kids who have straight A's have this to eat from. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have an all you can eat buffet. They could go to any school in the country because they're that smart. Um, And so I just say, look, grades are good. They give you options. And I love options in life.
1: Who were your influencers when you were a kid? Was it, uh, was it your parents? Was there somebody else that pushed you? Anything that stands out about
2: your childhood that says, you know, that was my defining moment? I always had people in my life, parents, I I had an amazing family. I come from a big family on my mom and my dad's side. Um, But they were big believers in chasing your dream, which is a cliche. Mm -hmm. But the main thing was never being afraid to fail. And this is something I carry with me. And I talk about a lot with college students and people joining the workforce or whatever you're doing. I find that people are so afraid to fail. They don't allow themselves to succeed. And there's this little thing. My mom gave me years ago. It's this little piece of lead. And it says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And I wear that and think about it every day. And I, I and it doesn't mean you won't fail. I have failed more than I will ever succeed. We all do. We all strike out more than we hit home runs. But it's it's never being afraid to fail and leaning into it and taking those chances and stepping out of your comfort zone. And that's I, I love that tight wire act and walking without a rope. I love that's why I love live TV. Yeah, you could fall on your face in front of a you know 10 million people, but the feeling that when you succeed, uh, it, it's, there's nothing like it. And so, yeah, I had an amazing support system with my family, my brother, my parents, grandparents to this day. Uh, I lean on them. They keep, you know, people always say, how do you stay grounded? It's them. It's, it's always my family. And it's the fact that I go home and they don't give a rat's ass what I do. You know, <laughs> are you a good, are you a good man? Are you happy? Are you a faithful you know servant and, and a good person? That's all they care about. And that's what I care about.
1: You know, what's interesting about that is if we're watching the series, be it The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, you've got a bunch of people on there on night one who are afraid of failure, yeah. right? They, they are deathly afraid of being sent home quick and not getting a rose on the
2: first night. Well, it's, you know, there's self-sabotage. There's things we do. You see it in any business and you see it a lot. Our show is the microcosm of what goes on in the real world. And yeah, you'll see people come in on night one and they will do things to blow up a situation so... They do irreparable harm. So you just, you can't come back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it on purpose. You know, people call it in, in sports, people call it choking. Um, it's, you know, missing a two foot putt or do, you know, basically messing up something that you've done a million times in your life. If no one was watching, it wouldn't be a big deal. But now everybody's watching. So you blow it up. Um, and and that is, a, it's a very interesting thing. We do it in our personal life, our love life. It's walking across the bar and and just saying hello to the man or the woman that you've made eyes with and taking a shot in not being the guy that wakes up the next morning thinking, what if, what if I walked across the bar and just said hello? Yeah, yeah. How, how many
1: times, I'll get back to your college days in a quick second. How many times, Chris, in, in all of the shows and the series that you've done, you know, with The Bachelor, Bachelorette and all of that stuff, on the first night have you actually kind of in your mind pegged it and and been right
2: <laughs> in the end? You know, it's, I should be a better prognosticator after 20 years. Um, it, usually I will say, you know, who's going to maybe make it to the final four, but not a lot of success where I'm like, that's her, you know, mm. that's the one, um, it's a little easier. I will say that it's a little bit, little easier for the bachelorettes. They tend to be more sincere, more serious, more in tune with their, their feelings early on. Whereas the guys kind of see the pretty girl on night one and say, Oh, <laughs> that's her pretty red dress, you know, shiny object. Um, and so a little easier for the bachelorette, but not great with a bachelor. Yeah.
1: All right. Back to college. You were a fraternity guy. I've lived that <laughs> life, too. Uh, I was the social chairman my junior year. And then and then I ran us into debt and senior year. I got I got elected president to figure it out. What kind of guy were you in college? Were you the party guy since
2: you weren't so, you know, tied to the books or what? No, well, you know, it's funny. I found myself in college. You know, I, I think I got to college and realized I'm on my own. Like if I fail, it's on me, you know, it's not on my parents anymore. And so I became a straight A student and a really hard worker in college, I think because I found my passion, I found what I wanted to do. And I wasn't just studying just random things in high school. Um, And so I, I really took off and I was a soccer player and was playing college soccer at OCU. And so I wasn't, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed a good time. Love a cold beer as much as anybody um, and, and, had a few too many on many nights, but I was pretty, you know, into being an athlete, being a soccer player. And I was, I was a good student and yeah, you know, in the fraternity, I was pretty active as much as you could be. It wasn't my life because I had the soccer team. Um, I ended up being the pledge pop. And, uh, I, actually this year I was named the, the Kappa Sigma man of the year, the international man of the year, um, following Tito beverage from uh, Tito vodka, so I uh, pretty, pretty big shoes to fill. That is pretty big shoes to fill. So you
1: graduate and then here we go with the TV career. And if I have this right, Chris, you started in Oklahoma City. Is that the first job? I mean, people that are listening and, and watching this right now, I'm just going to tell you your first job in Oklahoma City doesn't really happen. All right. That's, that's not how it works. John Anderson at ESPN is a buddy of mine. We went to college together. I know he ended up there, but I don't think that was his first gig.
2: That's your first gig. Anderson uh, Anderson. Who's a friend of mine uh, was over in Tulsa. He was at the CBS. There you because, go. Okay. And, and I have a good John Anderson story later. Um, but uh, yeah, my first job, my first three jobs were actually in Oklahoma city. Um, I going back, I was got into sports casting in college, the sports information director at school said I hey I want to start this sports casting gig this class where you will call the basketball games at OCU on local cable Cox cable and I need a student to kick this thing off I think you'd be great I said look man I've never done this before in my life I don't know what you're talking about but <laughs> sure sounds fun and so we would sneak into the mass comm department at night and put in old Bobby Knight videotapes and turn down the sound and start calling basketball games and that's how I learned to be a sportscaster. And the next year I met this guy, Bill Tegans, who became my mentor, like a father figure and a wonderful friend of mine. He was the sports director at the uh, local CBS affiliate. And I befriended him. He took me under his wing. I interned for him for like two and a half years. It was, it was pretty illegal. It was free labor. I wasn't supposed to. What I would do is you get two internships in college. I signed up and used one quickly. Then I realized how to play the system. I kept signing up and I didn't want to waste my last one. So I would sign up, take my sheet in to the people at the station. They would say, great, you're getting college credit. You can work for free. And then I would go back to school and I would drop the class and I would just continue to work. And so I would just show up getting no credit and no pay, but I just loved it so much and I knew it was what I wanted to do. And I was I was an addict. I couldn't, I was a rat. You know, they talk about gym rats and sports. Yeah. I was a station rat. I couldn't be around enough. And the guys clearly knew what I was doing. They all took me under their wing and they would start to call me when there were big stories. And this is still when I was in college and I would go out and they would do a standup and then I would grab the mic and I would shoot exactly what they did. And I would go back to the station and, and re-voice over exactly what they did and put it on my resume tape. And that's how I kind of started. But there was this weird twist of fate where the station started a Saturday morning newscast for two hours and they needed a sportscaster it was zero pay it was thankless from like four to six in the morning on saturday (laughs) mornings and i still wasn't qualified but they went through a bunch of people and at the end of the day i i got this gig right out of college and the timing was perfect i was in the perfect position a lot of things have to fall into place um and obviously this mentor of mine who was the one making the decision gave me this shot and it changed my life wow that's cool Uh um
1: being a station rat, I can relate, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And you make no money, and and you do it for the love of the job. That's what you do, and you have that passion for it. You have clearly never lost it, and it's interesting to hear that you would shift gears and be where you are right now. Yeah. You did some horse racing, too. I mean, I want to run through some of the things that, that you've done, okay? So you got this horse racing gig, which you need to tell me about. HGTV comes calling, Game Show Network, Sabrina, the teenage witch you were, I mean, come on, where does all this go? And how did we get away from Oklahoma city and being a sportscaster?
2: Yeah. You know, you always say, you know, when you see an athlete like Tiger Woods or Serena Williams, you're like, you're seeing the top 10% of the iceberg. Yeah. You're not seeing the 90% of the crazy stuff that's going on in your life. And so, yeah, when I, you know, I, I went through Oklahoma city and I quickly moved up, up and, you know, they moved me to the number three spot, the number three guy left. So I got a full-time position and then, they moved me up to the number two spot and I was the weekend sports anchor and I was under my mentor and Bill Tegans, who was the voice of the, of the Oklahoma state Cowboys. And I covered a lot of OU football, the Dallas Cowboys. I was in heaven and my goal was to move back home to Dallas and be a sportscaster and live out my days and maybe be the voice of the Dallas Cowboys would be a dream. And I got this bizarre call. I had an agent at the time. She was a young up and coming agent who I didn't really realize what an agent was, but she took me under her wing and she said, "There's a horse racing network that Fox and TV Guide are starting up in LA, and they want you to come out and audition." And I had just gotten a job offer in Dallas, and I was that—that that was it. I, I this is my way into my dream. of going to Dallas, and then LA came calling. And I was married at the time with no kids. I was about 28, 29 years old, and we thought, you know what? What the hell? Let's—I had never been to California before. Let's go surf for a minute. It's going to be a disaster. Six months from now, I'll go home and I'll, I'll pick up the pieces and, and end up in Dallas. And here I am, you know, 20 some, odd, twenty some odd years later. And when I first moved there, what happened was other op, other things and opportunities opened. I was doing this horse racing network, but I, I started auditioning for movies, and I didn't know what the hell I was. I'd never been to an audition. I got a call back on my first audition, and I, I told my agent I got a call back, and she said that's great. I said what's a callback? I, I, I have no idea what that means. And, uh, and she's like, well, that means you got to go back this afternoon and it's good. They weed it out and they narrow it down. So you're a part of that. I said, Cool. Super great. I'm in, that sounds good. And so I started getting these gigs like Sabrina, the teenage, Witch. I did a movie called bounce with Gwen Affleck and, and, uh, and Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow. I did a, a Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy movie called Showtime. I was always like these reporters, Um, I was in the the show Alias. And so I I did all this other stuff. I didn't love acting, but I just thought it was fun. So I would do it, met some crazy people and, you know, put it on the resume. Hey everybody. I really want to tell you about Ahead,
1: one of our new partners this season and now the official headwear provider of Tracks to Success. Creativity, a sharp look, dozens of styles to choose from. Ahead's been supplying the most prestigious events and outfitting the world's top golfers for 25 years. And it's perfect for you as well. So if you're looking to dress for success, make sure you think ahead. Here's your chance to save big. Visit AheadUSAShop.com now and use the code TTSPOD. That's TTSPOD and receive 20% off your purchase. Ahead, the finest in headwear, the official headwear of the Tracks to Success podcast and available at AheadUSAShop.com. .com Um so clearly you get completely off of the track yeah. that you thought you were going to go. Now, what a lot of people probably don't know is that you've done a wide range of other things too. American Music Awards, red carpet coverage of the Primetime Emmy Awards, that's pretty cool. You and Brooke Burns co-hosted a game show called You Deserve It, Designer's Challenge on HGTV who wants to be a millionaire now i'll be honest i've watched all these well not every episode okay of the bachelor of the bachelorette but i I've, I've followed you enough i didn't even know you'd done all these things um yeah, you got to be it's, proud it's, is there you, any career them, highlight I'm, there
2: as you list them i'm like wow um they they you know i was a big believer when i moved out again i go back to you believe you can't fail and you're not afraid to fail and so i'm just a believer and when a door opens walk through it and if it's not quite open, kick it open and just give it a shot. I mean, what's the worst thing? And so I think I just had this attitude of bring it on. Let's go. Yeah, I'll try this. I'll try that. And next thing you know, you're standing next to Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro. and You're like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> um, or, you know, you're getting, you get a call and ABC says, we want you to host who wants to be a millionaire and take over, you know, Regis's famous game show. And I did that for three or four years, I think. And it was a phenomenal run. And, you know, being on the red carpet at the Oscars or the Emmys, those were all amazing. And I was the executive producer at TV Guide and I executive produced and hosted. And those were actually some of my proudest moments with the least amount of viewers. Very few people saw me ever do TV Guide work. But I hosted and executive produced those shows and they were damn good. I mean, it was phenomenal TV. We did a great job. But no one ever watched. But you know what? I was happy with how it turned out. That's mm-hmm. all you can do is be happy with what you're throwing against the wall.
1: Yeah. And it makes you more polished. It puts you in situations. I've always said, you know, you got you to gotta be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And, and if we think about, right, some of our greatest success stories in our personal lives or professional lives, they don't come from inside that comfort zone anyway. They're when you get pushed and you go, I don't even know if I could do this. I don't know anything about this. How am I going to talk horse racing or whatever? But it grows you and all of a sudden you've got these things. I don't know. You probably threw out a horse racing thing in the middle of the bachelorette one year and nobody even knew about it that you know, right? I and mean, that's kind of how well, it works.
2: You know, what's funny too is, you know, if you listen, especially with social media, I think it's so hard to do what we're talking about, because it is easier said than done, to, to just put yourself out there and be, as you said, comfortably uncomfortable mm-hmm. and not be afraid to fail because you're failing in front of a lot of people. And it's easy for people on social media to go, I can't believe you did that stupid game show or Kevin Costner, I can't believe you did Waterworld. What a bomb, it failed. Well, guess what? You know, All you can do is work your ass off, do the best you can and create a great product. There have been shows like You Deserve, it's a great example. That was a phenomenal concept, great show. What we got in the can that day and in, in that season was incredible. What, what happened was we lost it in editing, the post-production, and it's not to blame anybody. It, it, there was there was a, a, a minute mistake in, in the concept that just it fell apart, and it was a lesson learned. But to me, when people say, oh, well, that show didn't really last very long, it was a great concept and a great show, and I'm not embarrassed of it at all. I'm not embarrassed of any of my failures it's got me to where I am and you there's going to be failures and it's it's so easy for people to sit back and be comfortable and never take a chance and just say I can't believe you did that
1: we're talking with Chris Harrison he is the face and the voice of the bachelor and bachelorette series let's talk about the birth of it, how it happened. Uh, what was it? 2002, um, phone call. You never auditioned from what I understand. I mean, you didn't even know this thing was coming. And from, from the reports that I had heard and a little research that I'd done, um, they thought you were like the the guy next door. You were, you were just the average Joe guy. How did this all come about?
2: Um, so there had been a list. There's always a list as you know, in in this business. And so I was on this list and my, it was funny. My agent kept calling and saying, Oh, you're on this list. And I'm like, whatever you know I didn't know what it was about had no idea reality TV was barely a thing survivor was just coming on the air um, but hadn't really hit yet um, and that was it um, you know the, the real world and stuff like that but the network primetime reality series had not really taken off yet and so it finally got to 9 11 um, we were pregnant my son was born uh, 9 25 so a couple of weeks after 9 11 my son was born and a couple of weeks after that, I got a call. You know, that list you were on for this, this show, you, they're actually wanting to meet with you. They're down to a final four. And I'm like, okay, like I haven't talked to anybody. So I went to this meeting and it was a disaster. I met Mike Fleiss, the creator of the show. There were some other producers in the room who I didn't know at the time. I, you know, it was a disaster. It was just, I was suit and tie ready for my interview. Mike Fleiss, board shorts, black t-shirt, total Hollywood moment. And I'm straight off, you know, the pumpkin hay, hay truck in Oklahoma. And we just didn't mix. It was oil and water. And they offered the show to somebody else. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. And then they came back to me a few weeks later, right before Christmas. So this is October. And then we got kind of November, December. And right before Christmas, they called and said, we've had a change of heart. We want you to do the show. And then I came back after Christmas in the first of 2002. And we started shooting the first ever Bachelor.
1: Wow that is, i mean i had no idea and that is how crazy the business is so so when they said yes chris when they when they said you're the guy um did you have in your gut that you thought this thing could be something special. I'll be honest. When I got the call, very similar. We want to fly you down to interview for the Golf Channel. Arnold Palmer starting this, this channel. And I'm like, whoa. And I had my agent at the time. And I, in my gut, thought this thing's going to make it. I have to do this. Did you feel the same
2: way? Yeah, there you know, was funny. There's two moments. I'll go back to my John Anderson story. Who, If people don't know, he's a sportscaster at ESPN. He's been there for years. Um, John Anderson was in Tulsa. He was. He had the same job I had. I was in Oklahoma city, we're at sister stations, the same CBS affiliates. So we worked together a lot. John calls me and he says, Hey man, I'm going to go out to this place called Bristol, Connecticut, and I'm going to take a shot at this thing called sports center. It's pretty new. It's kind of taken off. Do you want to go with me? I said, man, I don't want to go to Bristol, Connecticut. I'll be honest. I just got a call to do this horse racing thing in in Hollywood. I'm going to go do that. He's like, all right, man, good luck. God bless. I'm like, yeah, man, love you. Good luck. God bless. Both of us probably thinking, The other one's going to fail miserably and probably both of us are going to fail miserably and we'll be back together soon. And, you know, he obviously went off and crushed it, took a flyer on sports center. I took a flyer on horse racing. What the hell was horse racing going to do? It was just a step to get to this next thing that got me to the next thing. And then the bachelor. And I not only didn't think the bachelor was going to be a hit, I didn't tell anybody I got the job because I knew they had offered it to somebody else before me. Then they tell me, and then I go home for Christmas. So I'm home for the holidays. We haven't shot anything. I don't have any, I don't have a deal done. I don't even tell, I tell my parents and I told my wife clearly, and that's it. I didn't tell anybody else about the job because I, I assumed I was going to get back and it was all going to go away. And I had one, a very Hollywood moment where I thought I was cool and I quickly realized I was just Chris Harrison. And I was in this movie called Bounce with Gwyneth, with Gwyneth Paltrow and Ben Affleck. And I was like a CNN reporter. And I did this really intense reading and I was reading the news. I kind of encapsulated the whole thing. And they called me and said, hey, we gotta pick up some of your stuff. And I thought, that means I'm in the movie. So I started telling everybody, I'm in a Ben Affleck movie, I'm in a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, I'm gonna be a big star. Like this is gonna be huge. Like this is a big deal. So when you're in a Ben Affleck movie, it turns out it's a Ben Affleck movie. It's not a Chris Harrison movie. So I went to do some, some cover, some cover ADR they call it when you, when you redo some video. And I realized you're looking at Ben Affleck. And if you look in the reflection of a painting behind him, you can vaguely see me when you hear my voice. <laughs> I was so crestfallen and I had told everybody I was gonna be in this movie and, and proceeded to get six months of phone calls of, I went to the movie and I never really saw you. I think I heard your voice. So I never again would I would I you know overstep and outkick my coverage.
1: All right, um, I'm not going to go in depth on every season. Uh, I know my my girls probably want me to, and they want me to ask you about you know JoJo or or uh, you know Hannah B or somebody else because there's so many characters that have been all the, on these shows. Is there anybody? And I know this might be a difficult question because I'm asking you quick recall here, but is there anybody in all the years in the series that you've done that has blown you away from you're saying, this is an incredibly impressive person, right? I'm not talking about who they might be matched up with or are they gonna find love or you know, happy endings and all that? But somebody, give me, give me one man and one woman that you just said, you know what? Um, I could be friends with them. I'd get them a job that you were blown away by them.
2: Um, I'll give you a couple. First, I'll start with um, our first bachelorette, Trista, Um, because going back to the bachelorette, you have to remember, and I know it's commonplace now, and it seems so benign, but at the time, it was a controversial thing to turn the tables and have one woman making out in a hot tub with twenty-five guys, and it was it was a big role to fill, and it needed a particular woman that had. I will say the sex appeal, the softness, the femininity, but at the same time, the strength and the power and the independence to take on this mantle and the controversy. And it was lightning in a bottle to have Trista. And she's a dear friend of mine. I love her very much, her and Ryan. um, And they now have teenage kids. And they were also the first wedding we ever did. And that season also was lightning in a bottle because I think it legitimized our entire franchise. That showed... All of Nation, back before we even knew it was called Nation, this works. So you can have fun with this. You can make fun of us, but at the end of the day, this is sincere and it works. So if it wasn't for Trista legitimizing everything we were trying to do, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you today. Hmm. Um, and then if you flash forward a couple seasons, Andrew Firestone is someone that's near and dear to my heart. He is from the Firestone family. Um, you know, Harvey was his great grandfather, but his entire family are just amazing people that have become dear friends of mine yeah um, and I learned a lot from him my love of wine um, and, and that whole culture and getting into um, that that world was all because of him he, he taught me and his family taught me um, and he I, I knew there was white wine and red wine back then I, I thought there was red grapes and white grapes <laughs> he taught me all about it. it was it was fascinating but he has become a very good friend of mine but there are so many Bob Guinea and Ben Higgins, who I just talked to, Wells Adams. I have befriended so many people, and it's been such a great side aspect of this, is this great family that I have created. Season
1: two of Tracks to Success is brought to you by Presentation Partners. Presentation Partners is a unique team of award-winning executives helping you build a presentation others will be talking about. Presentation Partners teaches you the true art of storytelling. And if you haven't heard about their neuroscience of persuasion, you'll see how valuable it is to own it. Whether you're a company or an entrepreneur, Presentation Partners is the team you need behind you. For almost 15 years, they've helped clients raise millions in capital and countless dollars in sales simply by making top leaders successful presenters. The time is now to find your authentic voice and learn your authentic story. Presentation Partners, creating persuasive story presentations based on something other than just your good looks. All these years of doing the show, you know, if we're... Chris, if we're a professional athlete, we we want to get better. We could talk about golf. You want to shoot maybe a couple under you, you know, better than you did the day before, add 10 yards of distance. If you're a soccer player like you might have been, you want to get better, move to another team, all that sort of stuff. Doing what you do, how do you keep it fresh? Is it the relationships? Is it the crew? How do you challenge yourself to get better? You don't hand the roses
2: out differently. How do you make yourself a better host? Um you know, I, I go back to my sports background and I'm so glad I played sports my whole life is, is you can always get better. You can always grind a little harder. And so, cause I'm, you know, I think when I started you look back 20 years ago when we started this 19 years ago, actually. And, you know, I was a host. I, I, will, I will say I was a talking head, you know, Mike mm-hmm. Fleiss, the producers would say, you know say this at this moment and do this. I didn't think a whole lot for myself. I didn't take a situation and try and make it better. I didn't know how I wasn't equipped. I, I wasn't a, uh, you know, a five tool player, as you would say in baseball or whatever. I, I didn't have any other tools. I could do what I, I could do. And that was converse, try and have a good interview. But beyond that, I wasn't very useful. And I, I grew into then becoming a producer and then seeing how, how can I help my director? Um, how can I help the lighting guys? And, and, and when I say, I'm, I'm not saying I'm setting up their equipment. I'm just saying, how can I help it all look better? And now when I walk into a situation, 19 years later, being a producer, being a host, I am, how do I, you know, what, what's the best thing I can get out of this moment? And, you know, if it's a live show, how can I, you know, crush this and what, you know, what's the best thing I could possibly get? So there's always things I can do to be better. And I have off days and I have days when I stop and I'm like, man. I just absolutely crushed it. Um, But that's, it's still, it's, it's as close to competition. It's as close to sports as you can get that live element, or even just going into, you know, a one-on-one interview or, you know, there's the stuff like handing out roses or saying it's the final rose tonight. Yeah. That's formulaic, all that stuff. A monkey could do it. I'm glad I'm that monkey. Don't get me wrong. But there are so many intangibles and little things that I do behind the scenes where I walk away and I'm like, damn it. No one else in the world could have just pulled that off. That was amazing. Chris, let's be real. There's times you haven't
1: handed out the roses all that well. I mean, you've done it really well sometimes. Rose nights, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I want to have some fun with some things. These are quick hit answers. All right. Mm -hmm. I don't need uh, two minutes on something. Uh, So let's start with this favorite sport to watch on TV, something you absolutely, you know, appointment TV?
2: Golf, any major. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I love my Dallas Cowboys, love my Texas Rangers. And I do watch soccer, but if there is a major on TV, a major, I am done.
1: Yeah. Get it. Understood. Lived it. Favorite sport to play as a hobby now?
2: As a hobby now, golf. 100%. I'm addicted. It was soccer. How good are you, by the way? At golf? Yeah. You know, I I don't, I can be good, but like anybody, and luckily I've played enough of these like PGA pro-am things where it's not my job. And so I'm I'm smart enough to know that I can't be great because I can't put the time in and I'm not going to put the time in. It's not going to be my life. I'd still want to just enjoy it. So I'm not going to be throwing clubs and yelling. And I know what Tiger Woods does. I know what Jason Day does. I know what these guys do to be great. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You so sign si- for 20 minutes. So I'm not going to be mad that I'm not uh, puring every shot. You sign
1: autographs. You don't sign scorecards. And by the way, here's here's a little tip for you. If your handicap's going down and once upon a time, shockingly, mine was below a five. But then I started hosting all these academy shows and all these instructional shows. I'm really gullible. My handicap soared. I was a 10 in no time. So don't overthink it and don't do too many lessons. All right. Exactly. All right. Oh. Back to the questions. Uh, your favorite team. Is it the Cowboys, like the team you love more than any team?
2: Well, just just to fill people in, uh, we're taping this the day after the Dallas Cowboys just got crushed by the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. So it's hard for me to say it's the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) that, That is truly where my heart is. I am a diehard Cowboy fan, I've gotten to know the Jones family. Luckily, and some of the players, uh, you know, whether it's Tony Romo back in the day or Blake Jarwin, the tight end now is a good friend. Uh, I, I am a diehard Cowboy fan, no matter if they're getting beat or not. All right. This might be a tougher question. What's the uh, what's the perfect date night for you? Uh, well, perfect date night uh, would be with with my beautiful gr- girlfriend, Lauren Zima. Uh, um, and we're simple because we both live crazy lives and we're, we're away from each other way too much. Mm-hmm. We like simple. Um you know, an amazing, amazing bottle of wine and a killer dinner. And, you know, if, if it's going to be a perfect night, then, then put us in Tuscany if you really want to show off uh, or, or somewhere spectacular. But honestly, just a simple night with my girl having a great meal and a great bottle of wine. Um, we just I, I like to be with my friends. I'm I'm home alone a lot. Yeah. Um, and so when I get home, I just dive into those people that I cherish the most.
1: All right, there's a fantasy suite joke in there, but I'm not going there. So I'll I'll <laughs> scare you of that. Okay. Uh best vacation for you, would it be going to the beach on an island? I mean, you've been to all these cool exotic places, mm. or would it be more like the mountains,
2: something like that? It's funny you say that. I'm an active guy. I'm not a big lay on the beach and just do nothing. So I love being active. One of the greatest trips we ever took. We were in Zermatt, uh, Switzerland, where if you don't know, that's where the Matterhorn is. Um, which by the way looks just like the one at Disney. So mm. you could just go there. Um, but being able to take the gondola up out of Switzerland, ski into Italy and have lunch and then go back that, I mean, that was as good a trip as you could ever have. It was just magnificent. So I love the trips where, you know, we were in Munich and Bayern Munich was playing in the champions league or in Barcelona and Barca was playing. Um, I I love it. When we have these, uh, these dates, we took over Wrigley field. I'm a big sports guy. If you can't tell, we uh, took over Wrigley field, the Met stadium Um, we've taken over some amazing golf courses and I, I take advantage of this stuff as much as possible. We shot an amazing date at Ernie L's vineyard, uh, in South Africa, just outside of Cape town. And that was a great few days.
1: You have the best gig going.
2: You're right. I'm telling you, that's why I say, if someone ever taps me on the shoulder and says, you got to go, I'm like, I I get it.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I'm jealous. Social media, blessing or a curse. Do you, do you like it? Are you addicted to it?
2: Uh, worst invention in, in my lifetime. I, I am so. I feel so bad for my kids growing up with this crap. Um, I, yes, I use it. So I know I'm being hypocritical. I'll be the first to tell you, I use it. I'm on Instagram. I, I'm not on Facebook. I've never been on Facebook and I'll never get on it. I do Twitter a little bit, but Twitter has become a, just a garbage pile. Um, I think it's horrible. And if I could take one thing out of the world, it would be social media. I think it, it is a wonderful thing, but it's done much more harm than good now. I don't want to send this
1: interview into a real bad spot, but this guy like spoiler Steve, or what's his name? Reality, Steve, or or whatever. Yeah. I mean, does, does he just drive you nuts? Is he the guy that you would uh, it
2: actually could help ratings? Maybe he drives ratings. No, I I do know of him. I've never actually, I've never read a lot of his stuff. There's certain things. If someone shows me something that's important that I have seen, it's just not relevant really. And, and, and it's not that he's not a relevant person. Uh, I don't know him, but, um, it's never affected our ratings. And probably, as you said, it, it drives people. What I'm not a fan of, of anything. I'm not a fan of anybody who wants to spoil the ending of anything, whether mm-hmm. it's a movie, a show, whatever. I don't know. I don't understand the DNA of people that would do that and get off on that. Um, why would you want to crap on someone's happiness? Of like, Hey, I know you love this. Yeah. Let me crap on it. And let me tell you how it ends. So if you want to spoil some things, if you want to talk about it and, and, and tell people how you know something they don't I get it. But, but spoiling the ending is just the only thing that bugs me. There
1: have been some of the most bizarre endings of late to your series that I could ever, I mean, I still can't believe some of the stuff that I've seen in some of those studios.
2: It's, After- it's, it's been bizarre. I look, look, most of the time, I don't believe it. Even if you go to <laughs> player, player season of The Bachelorette, just the last season, I can't believe what happened.
1: Yeah, well... All right. Favorite author. Are you a reader, by the way? This is a segue. You probably know what my next question is going to be or where we're going to go next. But uh, do you have a favorite author?
2: Um, Yeah. You know, I could say Nicholas Sparks because that's where we're going to go next is uh, because my book came out of uh, having a few too many cocktails with Nicholas Sparks. Um, But uh, I I do love to read. I kind of go back and forth when I'm on the road. I'm a big fan of... um, going in and out of fiction to, uh, you know, to, you know, whether it's a biography, autobiography, I was a huge fan of Dan Jenkins. He was a huge loss. I know you're a golf guy. Um, I'm a Texas guy. He was a legend in Texas. One of the greatest sports writers, maybe the greatest sports writer of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love his books. I love all, I miss him on Twitter. I know I just ragged on, on Twitter, but he was genius. I don't know if it was him or his son or his daughter, but Oh my God. The guy was just brilliant. Yeah.
1: I worked with his son. Uh, I've worked around him and his daughter, but he was genius on Twitter and he is a legend. You've got that right. So let's talk one about of your... my, one, of, one of my,
2: big, one of my big sadnesses and, and, and regrets is that I'd never met Dan Jenkins. Cause he was in Fort Worth. I was in Dallas and I, you know, by the time I really understood who he was and how great he was, I was already in Oklahoma city and I never, mm-hmm. our paths never crossed. And I, that's a regret because He uh, I look up to him. I think he's just you know, I don't love how much he hated Tiger and how personal he made that. I I know he has his reasons. That was the only thing I didn't love. But other than that, uh, I think he was brilliant. So you wrote your own book, uh, a novel
1: called The Perfect Letter. What did inspire you truly to do that? I mean, was it really a couple of cocktails or or
2: It, it was a night? People had talked to me. It was a couple of things. Again, timing where people had talked to me about writing a book. And I had a lot of literary agents. you got to write a book. you got to write a book. And I said, you know, I don't want to write a tell all. I'm not going to be the dating guy. You know, where I tell you like Oprah, like I can tell you, take this pill and you're going to be better. Um, I'm not a one size fits all kind of person. And so I was at a tournament in San Diego, a golf tournament. And Nicholas Sparks was there. We started drinking wine. and He says, you know, we're pretty similar. We kind of do similar things. We're just in different lanes. I'm in literature and you know, you're in TV. And I said, you're right. He's like, Chris, you could write a book. We could write a book right now. And the next day I, or next week, I actually had a meeting with an agent and we got into talking about writing fictional romance. And I said, you know what? Nicholas Sparks just brought this up. Let's do it. And that's kind of how it all happened.
1: That's really cool. How long did it take you? A couple of years?
2: It did. It was, you know, again, stepping out of your comfort zone. I had never written a book. I didn't know what it took to write a book. It took a lot of people around me to help, um, and I did. I I was not afraid to ask for help because I'm also a big believer in, yes, fake it till you make it, but I'm also a believer in know what you don't know, Mm -hmm. and it's important to know what you don't know. If you're a doctor, you're brilliant. That's great. That doesn't mean you can manage money. Um, You know, I think we all have lanes and we have blind spots. And, and, you know, literature was a blind spot for me and I wanted to do it and I dove in and it's, it was fun for me to learn that business. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I, I asked for help and I would send it out to writers and I'm like, read this, help me craft it, make it better.
1: I'm in the final stages of a book project. It is all, all hard work and uh, a real challenge. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I, I'm going to check your book out, by the way. Let's get back to it's The good. Bachelor. It's, like, as I said, it's not a great,
2: it's not the great American novel. That's all right. It's an easy summer read and, uh, and it's just romantic. It gets a little edgy. It's it's pretty <laughs> risque.
1: That's all right. That's good. I, I'm seeing a different side than I, than I thought I was going to see. I like it. How do you feel about being the face of a franchise and being on network TV in front of millions where they do hang on your words, they pay attention to your body language. And ultimately you have responsibility to carry the show. I think you understand what I mean by that. I know you're you're not the star of the show because that's the Bachelor of the Bachelorette. But if not for you, right? You're an enabler to their success or failure in a way.
2: Well it is something and you said it's a responsibility and it's a responsibility that I've learned and, I, and I've grown into, um, and luckily it's it's been a, an ascension, and, and and I didn't just jump off a bridge and land there because you had to learn to earn you had, well. First of all, it's respect. You have to earn that respect, mm-hmm. and I've earned the respect of the people that come on the show, the crew, producers, you know. But then Bachelor Nation, the viewers now respect me, and I am the guy that should anything go awry or there's a controversy, I'm the guy that's sitting across from Robin Roberts on Good Morning America or Ellen DeGeneres. And I answer to those issues. And, you know, again, if I don't have that that respect and I haven't earned that respect, then people will see through it or they're not going to believe what I'm saying. And so there is the, the, the honor of being on a show that's been on this long. This is television history. And I'm also a student of the game. I love television. I understand what we're doing is historic. Television shows don't last in prime time for 20 years and actually are expanding. We're doing more television now than we did 19 years ago. That doesn't happen. Yeah, um, yeah. Shows have an arc. They go up, they peak and they go down. We went up, peaked and started our way down. And all of a sudden we're like, nope, we're just going to keep going. Um, and that just doesn't happen. And so there's pride. There's an honor. There's just a gratefulness of being blessed to have this. This doesn't happen for most people. You know, people often ask, you know, and for some reason always happens in our business, maybe because it's artsy. Do you want to do something else? What do you want to do next? You know, are you going to leave The Bachelor? And I say, you know, what's funny. No one ever asked Tom Brady. Aren't you sick of winning Super Bowls, man? Aren't you, you know, what, how about basketball? Why don't you go try the NBA, man? Or why don't you try tennis and see if you can beat Roger Federer? No one ever asked Tom Brady, are you tired of winning Super Bowls? I'm winning Super Bowls every year. We're crushing it. This is it. You know, I am hosting not just one, but three or even sometimes four primetime franchises that have been created out of this thing we started. So, this is it. You know, uh, this is a dream. What I love to do other stuff. Do I love, I get to enjoy doing other things, whether it's the Nick will lend volcano hosting Miss America, the spelling bee ABC has been gracious enough to give me other gigs, which are fun, but day in and day out, this is it. You know, this is the mountaintop. This is what you aspire to be. And now my goal and the reason I don't get bored. I like to stay on top.
1: And you're in a bubble. And you're, (laughs) you're, you're isolated. I mean, because you have to be sometimes and I, I, that cannot be all that fun. I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about in general, Mm -hmm. you talked about the life that
2: you lead. It can't be all that easy. It's not, it's not a glamorous life. It's a wonderful life. And, and I've, you know, I have done better, been more successful than I ever dreamed of. I'm fine. My kids are now going to be fine because of this job. This job changed my life. Um, But you have to work really hard. And I learned this early on. Luckily, I was never a, a Hollywood guy and I've always had an amazing family. I've always been very faith driven. And it was probably very lucky that I was married when I got into this business. So I wasn't that guy going off chasing the women, chasing drugs, doing all that. So I've always had a good base. And I've always been careful to keep people around me that hold you accountable. It's so easy in this business to have a lot of people just say yes to you and kiss your ass And tell you what you want to hear. And it's always been important to me to have true friends, true loves of my life that I, that I hold dear that will call me when I'm here in the bubble and just say, Hey man, how you doing? And I can actually tell them how I'm doing. And it's not talking about the show. It's not talking about the road ceremonies. It's people that will hold you accountable. People that I feel I owe it to, to be good. And, uh, and that is important. And a lot of people don't do that. And that's how you go astray in life, whether it's my business or any other business. Yeah.
1: You talked about being the father, um, of bachelor nation in a way, you're also the the father of kids and, and holding people accountable. Have you ever been in a series, one of the shows, um, where you said, you know what, uh, this one is not going to work. This one is a disaster. This one's a nightmare. Um, the people that are left on the show are a nightmare, you know, where you just said, I can't do this one.
2: You know, Bachelor and uh, Bachelor Pad was the first incarnation of Bachelor Paradise. And I could see that just what there was, there was something inherently wrong with it because of the game show element at the end, there was the uh, kind of prisoner's dilemma at the end of the show. And it kind of became about the money and it was just, it just had, it started out as a genuinely good idea, but I could tell it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So we put it on the shelf and we came back with Bachelor in Paradise, which has come to be a great show. And it, as big, if not bigger than The Bachelorette even. Um, and so it was kind of that failure, if you will, that struggle where we all went back to the drawing board and said, what was wrong with this idea? It was a good idea, but it missed somewhere. And, and, and it inherently wasn't about relationships because at the end of the day, our show is always about love and that relationship whether it's a joke or you think it's a joke that's the sincerity of it and that's where paradise was born and that's where we've created a better show than what we had with bachelor pad
0: in addition to hosting this podcast craig leads the can advisory group focused on elevating communication for companies and individuals company consulting empowering team and individual workshops mind-altering webinars and Craig's inspiring keynotes for your conference or company meeting. They're all on the menu of services. Can Advisory helps companies clarify their message, helps professionals build and showcase their brand, and helps everyone present their best selves. So if you're the leader of a team or company looking to give your employees a game-changing one-day experience or an individual who wants to become a speaker and presenter that gets other people talking, visit canadvisory.com. And when you do connect, make sure to mention the Tracks to Success podcast to receive a special discount on any of the CAN advisory services. That's canadvisory.com. Now back to the interview.
1: Winding up our time with Chris Harrison, the host of the series that I hope you watch. If you don't, you should at least check it out, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Uh, good to be talking with you. I have some other things I want to ask you about quickly, and you brought it up, so I'm going to go there because at some point the ride will be over, and yeah. I'm not saying they're going to say that you're done, but the series might be done, run its course, whatever happens. Although we got to get that 50-something show. Uh, we gotta get that, we got to get that knocked out. Um, but anyhow, what else would you want to do you know, and I know you already said, I don't know and I don't think about it, and something else might come away and I'll just deal with it at the time. But but there has to be something that you would want to do besides play celebrity golf tour events.
2: There's things I love. I love television, I'd love creating it. I think I will definitely continue. I'm, I'm in the producing side, I will continue to produce. And I, so I think you'll see a lot more of me behind the scenes as I, as I make some other guy get in front of the camera and look pretty every day. Um, but I, so I love producing. Talk show, maybe. I, you know, I loved it when I, I did my stints with Kelly and um, and would do the Kelly and Ryan show, and I, I would host co-host the View or whatever. There is something attractive to me to doing a daily thing because um, I love people and I love the interview and I love being a journalist as well. I, I cut my teeth being a journalist, and that's what I studied, so I, I, I love that. Um, you know, there's stuff that's attractive to me on the periphery, like being Jim Nance, you know, calling golf and all that. Mm-hmm. But I know the lifestyle that goes into that. And you're away from your family on weekends. You're working holidays. I did that. So, you know, I, I want control of my life again and my calendar. So there's things out there, uh, you know, that, that I will still chase. I'm still hungry. I still love what I do. And until that appetite goes, I'm not going away. And you're right. Someday the bachelor or bachelorette inevitably will go away. Or maybe they'll tap me on the shoulder and say, dude, you're too old. It's time to move over and let somebody else do it. That's their prerogative. I don't own the show. So, you know, I'm, I'm still renting, you know, I, I haven't bought this thing, but, um, I, I hope they continue to invite me back. It's an honor to be invited back. And it's always, I never take for granted that on Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, whenever the show's on, I wake up and the ratings are there. I, I, I study ratings every single day and I, I hold my breath when I check the ratings. I'm like, whew, thank God. Bachelor is still there. We, we we still got another year to go.
1: You know, you, you're a host, okay? And you're you're also an interviewer. There are different roles here. And so you, you talked about having maybe a, a role as a talk show host, and I could totally see that. Um, I, I need to ask you that. When you're sitting there after the final rose, and you've got that uncomfortable moment or the chance to really, truly interview I know you have a bunch of people up there that have been on the show and they're all chiming in, barking, chirping, yapping and all that sort of stuff. But you do have control of that. Do you enjoy that part of it where you're getting into the raw emotion of the interview? I do.
2: You know, what what I really love, my favorite thing, I love live TV. And again, that's where I cut my teeth in this Mm -hmm. business. What I love is that after the final rose special, when it's a one hour or two hour, whatever it is, and you have a finite amount of time to get gold, to really deliver the story, tell the story, take people on this journey and and, and kind of wrap everything up. And, you know, you'll, you'll have a segment that's like, okay, you have four minutes, not a lot of time. So the clock's going in your head. you got to get to commercial on time. Someone's yelling at you. You got a producer talking in my ear. And yet I'm trying to have this really emotional moment and draw something. I love that. I love the pressure. I love having to ask myself, and, and all you can do is prepare like it's a sporting event. You work out, you train, you've done your homework, and then you go. And then you just got to trust your instincts and trust that your mind and your body is going to do what it's supposed to do. And in those moments when it comes off, it there's nothing better. There's no better high. I always tell people, I've never done drugs. I'm not. I don't do drugs. That's my high. When when something goes right yeah. and I made it go right on TV and it just worked, whether you realize it or not it's such a good feeling. And you know, that feeling.
1: Yeah. What would you tell people that want to dream big and host a show like that? But then they quickly say, Nope, never going to be me. What do you tell them? I'll I'll, I'll give you the advice
2: that my mentor, Bill Teagans, uh, God rest his soul gave me when I got into sports casting, get out of this business, quit now while you have a life. That was the best advice I ever got in my entire life from somebody. Hmm. Uh, I was a young man getting in the business. And he said, if I could tell you one thing right now, it'd be to get out. And it was great advice because you will give up your life. This takes over your life. It's a big part of my life. I'm right now gonna be stuck in this place for the next, you know, five more weeks while we're shooting this show. You have to love what you do. And I think that was his point. And I understood his point later in life. If I had taken his advice and said, Oh God, I have to work holidays, I have to work all night, I'm gonna miss weekends. And if that meant something to me and I left, that would have been great advice. But the fact that he could have beaten me with a stick and been hosing me down and yelling at me, I I still would have shown up the next day to work. It didn't matter. You couldn't get me away from wanting to do this. And so that was great advice. Um, But to your point, don't be afraid to go after this stuff. If someone looks at Chris Harrison and says, how in the hell did this no name, nobody, Come out of Dallas, Texas, and become a host of the biggest franchise in reality TV in primetime history. How's that happened? Yeah. I don't know. You tell me. But I <laughs> took a shot and I wasn't afraid to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Chris, this podcast is called Tracks to Success. I've talked with star athletes, musicians, CEOs of companies. I've talked to public speakers. I've talked to, you know, superstar athletes, even broadcasters. And brand builders, people who work to build other people's brands. How often do you think about your own? In other words, your life is very much in the public eye and yeah. you have to walk a fine line when you're walking around a town or a city. How often do you think about your brand? How important that is to you? Too
2: much, probably too much. I think about it a lot. You know, I, I, I'll i admit, that, you know, when you get in this business, you care what people think of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at the same time, I have a thick skin and I can take a lot from people. Um, but at the same time, I do care. And I, 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 am, I learned a long time ago that when you get in this business, you're a hired gun. You're an entity. Um, so you have to treat yourself as such. It is important that you realize that you are the brand in this business. My name, what I stand for, the things I say on social media and public it does matter. And, it, and it, there is a ripple effect. And there are, there are consequences. I always I always cracks me up when people say freedom of speech, man, First Amendment, I can say what I want. Yeah, the First Amendment says freedom of speech, you can say what you want. It doesn't say without consequences, right? You got to read the fine print. Um, and so yes, there are consequences to everything I do or say. And I do pay attention when I'm in a restaurant. And I do pay attention when I'm out having a drink with friends, and, and they start being loud. And I'm very careful. And there's a time And it's kind of a bummer sometimes if a party's kind of getting out of hand or maybe I'm in Vegas and I see there's always a point in the night, you know, and it starts to tilt the other way and things get crazy. (laughs) I go home and there's times I'm sitting in my hotel room and it's only 1130 or midnight and my buddies are still out. And I'm like, kind of sucks that I have to be here, but it's the right thing to do. And that's how you have to act. And so I do know and I, I am very cognizant of the fact that I am a brand and I'm careful how I curate that. Last one. You work on a show with the goal of two people finding
1: success through love. What defines success for you, both personally and professionally? The final question: When you're ready. Um,
2: <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, prof- I'll do professionally first um, because it is it is very different, and professionally. It is not exactly money. It's not all money. And I will admit when I started, it's like, oh, I want to make six figures someday. I don't even know what that meant. It's just, I'm a big believer in goals and hitting those goals and trying to find the next thing to me is success. And what's successful to me is not going to be successful to you. So don't worry about it. And that's another thing I tell people getting in this business. Don't worry about what the other person's doing. Trust me, they're scared to death. They don't know what the hell they're doing either. They're just as lost as you are. Go your own path and don't be afraid of that. Um, but success to me is winning. I do keep score. I follow ratings. I follow, you know, where I want to get if my shows succeed, if my shows get canceled. Um, you know, and, and, what, and it, it has to do with where that show was when I picked it up and what I had to do with it, how big of an imprint I left on it. Um, so it's, it's, it kind of changes in your life. Personally, it's very simple being a good man, being a good, faithful man, a good father, um, a a good, you know, now boyfriend, uh, before being a good husband and being a good friend. I want my, my, my buddies to think, man, that's a guy I can call in the middle of the night and he'll be there just like I could call them. Um, that the the personal stuff is very easy to me. Life is simple when you do the right thing. And, And so my personal life has always remained very simple.
1: You know what? That's, uh, to me the reason you've succeeded that's the reason the series has succeeded you might not have been the first choice but you are the right choice and they made a good one uh you're not the guy that lives next door to me but i hope i get to spend some time with you sometime when we can hang in person and uh and have one of your special seagram's drinks i appreciate you being on this thing more than you know and i wish you the continued success with the series and everything else you do thank you so much
2: well truly appreciate the time as well and uh and and Best of luck to you and continued success. And uh, hopefully, we will run run into each other someday. Hopefully, play a little golf together. There you go. The, you got that one. We'll make it I happen. We'll stay in
1: touch and we'll make that happen. And uh, I appreciate it. Take good care. Thank you. In our conversation, Chris talked about his road through various stops to reach a point of major recognition and fame as the host of a show seen by millions. In his role on The Bachelor and Bachelorette series, Chris is really a matchmaker of sorts, which brings me to my one last thing. If you wanna be an influencer, strongly consider how you bring people together. I have many in my network that spend a lot of time helping others. In fact, I want you to think about how many times you've been asked for a referral or asked to be a reference for someone else. This podcast alone has grown through one guest after another saying they enjoyed the experience and have shared other people for consideration. Being a professional connector is an amazing way to grow your own brand without achieving something on your own resume. Basically, your brand grows by bringing other people together and then they give you the credit on the back end as a person who cares for others and wants other people and organizations to succeed through the professional relationships you help to build. Take some time, build some bridges for other people. Do that and I really believe your tracks to success will come a whole lot easier. One thing before we go, please take a moment, give this podcast a review and a rating and share it with those you think might benefit. And if you have a guest you think belongs on the show, somebody you want to see, email me at info at canadvisory.com. Until next time, I'm Craig Can. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners, visual storytellers passionate about connecting presenters with their audience. Don't forget to subscribe to the show for more great interviews and thoughts on reaching your highest personal and professional summit. You can follow Craig on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Craig can. And for exclusive Tracks to Success content and news about our upcoming guests, you can find Tracks to Success on Twitter. It's at Tracks to Success.